Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode contains distressing themes and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. They Walk Among Us is part of the Acast Creator Network. The Victorian era was an interesting time of development. Advancements in machinery and modern medicine must have seemed like a new world. That said, it was also a time of great social inequality and hardship. Art was used to start a dialogue on the social issues that plagued Britain, and the period gave rise to some of the most notable artists and writers in history. While many artists were seen as eccentric characters, it was well known that eccentricity lends itself to a creative mind. It was also well known that a fine line existed between an extraordinary mind and a troubled one. As Aristotle once said, there is no great genius without some touch of madness. Welcome to They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. This is the 34th in a series of bonus episodes. At approximately 7.20 on the morning of Tuesday, August 29th, 1843, A butcher and his nephew were travelling on a horse-drawn carriage through Cobham Park in Surrey as they made their way to Rootham Cattle Market. As they approached the village of Cobham, they noticed something out of place. 
the man was lying face down by the road. The person was not moving. He was frozen in position with his arms outstretched above his head. The butcher stopped the cart and walked over to the man to see if he was asleep, sick, or passed out from a heavy night of drinking. The butcher said he considered it strange that a person he believed to be of respectable appearance would be on the floor in such a condition. As he got closer, the butcher realised that the man was covered in blood. After being flipped over onto his back, it was noted the victim had a deep wound to the neck and several injuries to the left side of his chest. It was obvious the man had perished and nothing could be done. The butcher and his nephew sped into the village to raise the alarm. Constable William Dawes was at home when the two men came knocking. The constable followed them to the scene and it quickly became evident that the man had been murdered. The victim was wearing a black coat, a green plaid waistcoat, dark trousers and low shoes. A crumpled hat was found on the grass nearby. Constable Dawes searched through the deceased man's pockets to see if there was anything in his possession that might identify him, but all the officer found were two pairs of mounted spectacles, 17 shillings and sixpence in silver, a purse containing one sovereign and two half-sovereigns, and a gold watch. There was nothing to indicate who the man was. Beneath the body, an open folding razor was found, and nine feet from the victim's head, the constable noticed a blood-stained lock knife that measured around four inches in length. There were numerous puncture wounds to the man's shirt. The neat slice on the right lapel of the coat appeared to have been cut with a razor at the same time the victim's throat was cut. The neck of the coat had been bunched up. This indicated that someone had dragged the victim to the location where he was found. The man's body was then taken to a wheeler shop in the village. It was there where the mystery of his identity was soon over, when he was recognised as 55-year-old Robert Dad, a carver who lived on Suffolk Street in London. Early Monday evening on August 28th, a single horse-drawn carriage pulled up outside the Ship Inn public house in Cobham. Robert Dad and his son Richard had come from London. They entered the pub and the pair spoke with the waiter John Adams. John was familiar with Robert Dad. He had known him when Robert worked as a chemist in Chatham a decade earlier. Robert asked his acquaintance if there was room at the inn. John told him they did not have lodgings, but he could find them a place to stay at some nearby cottages. John asked Robert if he should find one bed or two, 
And Robert replied, This is my son, and one bed will be enough. As John began to leave to make arrangements for the travellers, Robert let out a shout asking for two beds instead of one. Two rooms were secured, but at such short notice only separate cottages were available. John returned to the ship inn to let his customers know the arrangements, before serving them tea and then some food. At roughly 8.30 that night, John Adams was waiting when he heard Richard Dad ask his father if he wanted to go for a walk. Full and sleepy from the meal, Robert replied that he was tired. By 9.30pm, the dads had left the ship in. However, despite the cottage landlords waiting until midnight to let them in, they never arrived. The two men were not seen again until Robert Dad's lifeless body was found. A post-mortem examination was conducted by Dr. William Saunders, a Gravesend surgeon. He found a considerable amount of coagulated blood on the victim's right hand and face. An inch-long incision was seen on the left side of the throat, but the wound was not severe enough to have caused death. Robert Dad's face was swollen, and his lips, chin, forehead and the right side of his face were severely bruised, as were his wrists. One small puncture wound believed to be a defensive injury was found on the right thumb. The worst wounds had been inflicted to the chest. Between the second and third ribs on the left breast was a puncture wound, the lungs had been penetrated in two places. One injury extended through the upper tube of the left lung. Another injury was found extending toward the left shoulder, and the fatal blow was determined to be a four-inch deep wound to the chest. A jury at the coroner's inquest held at the ship in on August 31st before Justice Hind returned a verdict of willful murder against an unknown person. Many believe that Robert Dad's third son, Richard, was responsible for the crime. Robert Dad was born in Brompton, London in 1787. He was privileged enough to get a good education although it was his intellect that made him excel in his studies. As a young qualified chemist, he met his first wife, Mary Ann. He was a notable lecturer in chemistry and geology. Robert was also a charitable man who strived for social reform. He was active in groups that established better education systems within his community and Robert encouraged the seven children he had with Mary Ann to pursue their own ambitions. Sadly, however, Mary Ann died young in her early thirties, leaving Robert alone to raise their four sons and three daughters. 
In time, Robert remarried and went on to have two more children. A tragedy struck once again when his second wife died before her 30th birthday. Richard Dad was the third-born son of Robert and Mary Ann. He was born in Chatham, Kent in August 1817. Chatham was an inspirational place for many artists at the time, including the novelist Charles Dickens, and it was in the rural Kent countryside that Richard developed his love for drawing and painting. He attended grammar school in Rochester until the age of 13, when he left to pursue a career in art. He spent much of his time sitting under the low-hanging trees in Cobham Park, so much so that the chambermaids at a local mansion got to know him well and remembered him fondly years later. In the 1830s, the family moved to London, and Robert Dad became part owner of a business, allowing him to work as a carver at home. Richard was highly regarded by his father, who spared no expense in funding Richard's efforts to gain entry to the Royal Academy of Arts. It paid off. Richard was accepted into the art school in 1837. He quickly settled in, forming a bond with a close-knit group of friends he called the clique. They were also aspiring artists, and the group included John Philip, William Powell Frith, Augustus Eck, and Henry Nelson O'Neill. Many people were fond of Richard Dad and his temperament, which was said to be invariably gentle, kind, considerate, and affectionate. One friend said he would not hurt a fly, was full of music, supportive humour, and innocent mirth, and was the type to be, quote, satisfied with small praise for himself but ready, and lavish of his praise of others. Not only was Richard well-liked, but he was also talented and showed incredible promise as a young artist. He captured the attention of some of the most famous artists at the time and some wealthy patrons. His art, incredibly detailed and beautiful, is still admired and sought after to this day. Richard Dad began exhibiting paintings in galleries around London within the first year of being at the Royal Academy, and he won a silver award three times in succession for his work. He sketched his family and friends and scenic areas from his childhood with great accuracy, along with illustrative depictions of well-known stories and plays. He also had a talent for painting imaginative fantasy scenes. He had great range, and his skills seemed limitless. During his time at the Royal Academy of Arts, Richard Dad played a pivotal role in establishing groups and displays to showcase new painters, whose work would otherwise have received no recognition among high-society artists with connections to prominent galleries. His work was recognised by Samuel Carter Hall, 
an art journalist who commissioned him to illustrate a book of British ballads he was writing. He was also commissioned to decorate Lord Foley's house in Grosvenor Square with a series of imaginative designs. Richard knew the painter David Roberts, who introduced him to the former mayor of Newport, Sir Thomas Phillips. Sir Thomas wanted to travel across Europe, Western Asia and North Africa. He offered to provide Richard Dad with the means to pursue his studies under his patronage and create a series of artworks to memorialise the trip. Leaving in July 1842, Richard and Sir Thomas underwent exhausting journeys over desolate terrain and rough seas. They spent time in France, Switzerland, Greece, Syria, Palestine, Lebanon, Jerusalem and Egypt. Richard documented his travels in letters he sent back to members of the clique in London. Describing his time at a market in Corfu, Richard wrote, It seemed a large assortment or menagerie of pompous ruffians, splendid savages, grubby finery, wild costume, long matted hair, dark complexions, and noisy shopkeepers styled in filth, all their apparels looking like makeshifts. He's mixed with English soldiers and civilians, Italians, donkeys, mules, and strange half-naked children quite bewildered me, and I knew not which to look at first. Upon recovering, I pulled out my sketchbook to secure some reminiscences of costumes, and immediately I was surrounded by the whole market. I never saw such an assemblage of deliciously villainous faces. They grinned, glowered, and exhibited every variety of curiosity. Oh, such expressions. Oh, such heads. Enough to turn the brain of an artist. By the time Richard Dad and Sir Thomas reached Egypt, they were tired of sleeping in tents and travelling by cart or horseback, so they rented a boat and sailed along the Nile. At some point along the journey from Western Asia to Northern Africa, Richard was stricken with coup de soleil, a term used to describe sunburn or sunstroke. Richard wrote to his friends to tell them that he had felt some sort of nervous depression and he was beginning to doubt his own sanity at night when he had vivid dreams. The mythology and incredible architecture in Egypt made an impression on Richard, who was enamoured by the idea of gods and eternal strength. But on the last leg of the journey, he became increasingly withdrawn and irritable. By the time Richard and Sir Thomas reached Paris, Richard was paranoid. He felt as though he was being pursued by people who, in reality, were just passing by. He used the last of his money to travel from Paris to Calais, where he hired a boat to Dover, journeying back to London without explaining his sudden departure to his employer, Sir Thomas. Upon his return, Richard Dad's friends immediately noticed a change in his character. 
He was no longer the warm and humorous person that had left ten months prior, but instead a reclusive man with a sharp manner that made them want to avoid him altogether. The annual Royal Academy competition that year was to draw the best cartoon, but Richard returned with little more than a day to complete and submit his entry. He worked without stopping on a piece called St. George Immediately After the Death of the Dragon. A critic for the art union wrote a piece months later that read, The cartoon contributed by him to Westminster Hall was commenced and completed in 32 hours. It was sent in against the earnest entreaties of his family and friends who knew full well that it could do his reputation no service. For ourselves, when we saw it, we considered it as evidence of that insanity of which we had heard so many rumours, and our apprehensions for his ultimate fate increased. Richard Dad's behaviour began to frighten his landlady and friend who lodged with him so he returned home to his father's on Suffolk Street. Under the advice of his other children and Richard's friends, Richard's father Robert sought help from Dr Alexander Sutherland. Dr Sutherland believed that Richard was in a state of derangement and strongly urged Robert to withdraw his son from his studies and to monitor him constantly. It was reported that the coup de soleil coupled with too close an application of his studies had made inroads upon his physical and mental health. Robert Dad did not want to believe his talented young son had what was thought to be aberrations of the mind or an affected intellect as the doctor had concluded, so Robert resolved to take care of Richard himself. The following day, Richard asked his father to accompany him to the countryside, specifically Cobham, where he had such fond childhood memories. Robert readily agreed, and Richard promised his father that he would unburden himself once they got there. Against the objections of one of his daughters, Robert and Richard left London and made their way to Cobham. Meanwhile, Robert's daughter wrote to her eldest brother to inform him, but by the time the letter arrived, it was too late. Robert Dad had been murdered, and the young artist had disappeared. Robert's eldest son travelled to Cobham after hearing of his father's death, and when he was taken to view the body, he cried out, Richard has done this. He has murdered him, and I shall never see him again. Robert Dad's remains were taken to Strood by Hearse, before being interred at the family vaults at Gillingham Court near Chatham. Within days of their father's death, the Dad's siblings discovered one of their other brothers to be in a psychotic state, and he was admitted into an asylum as a result. Thank you. 
Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The police conducted searches of the woods surrounding Cobham Park in an effort to track down Richard Dad. It was considered they might find his body if Richard had realised what he had done and decided to take his own life. A young man matching the suspect's description was reportedly seen walking from the direction of the park towards the village at around 11pm on the night of the murder but he never returned to the inn or the lodgings that had been secured for Robert and Richard Dad. One reporter expressed sympathy for Richard, who they said had been labouring under the aberration of intellect when he killed his father. After discovering he had returned to London following the murder, several police forces became involved in the search. A placard was sent out detailing the killing and offered information about Richard Dad's appearance. The young man stands about five feet four inches in height, has dark hair, a scar on the forehead, light blue eyes, 
heavy dark eyebrows without whiskers. His manner is reserved and sullen, has a hurried gait, had on a brown loose coat over a dark frock and buttoned up to the skin, and sky-blue cloth trousers. A reward of ten shillings was offered in return for information, and the authorities confirmed that no expense was being spared to apprehend the suspect. A search of Richard Dad's lodgings on Oxford Street uncovered that he had kept hundreds of fresh eggs in bowls and copious amounts of ale in his bedroom. His bed and floor were covered in eggshells, and there were sketches found depicting people who all had their throats slit. It was believed that Richard had travelled to Rochester before taking a carriage to Dover, where he arrived shortly after 4am. This was three hours before his father's body was discovered in the shadow of the ancient elm trees that bordered a deep ravine in Cobham Park. Investigators discovered that Richard had obtained a passport from the French ambassador days before the murder and boarded a boat to Calais from Dover in the hours after his father was killed. At Calais, Richard had no problems at the passport office, and he told the inspector that he was engaged in business of the utmost importance and needed to find the shortest route to Marseille. Witnesses who saw a man matching his description reported that he had a large amount of money with him in a purse. His clothes were torn and stained and he claimed he had fallen from a coach, but when some of his clothing was later found abandoned at an inn in Calais, it was saturated in blood. Richard Dad had boarded a train from Calais on the night of August 30th. He sat next to a man from France. This individual observed what he believed to be mildly strange behaviour, saying that Richard's looks seemed to be wandering. As they passed through the forest of Valence near Montereau, Richard began touching the passenger next to him on the collar of his coat. Assuming that Richard was mentally ill, the passenger ignored his actions for around 15 minutes, but the lowering of his collar and cravat became too irritating, and he asked Richard to stop. Doing so triggered the young passenger, and Richard instantly took a razor from his pocket and tried to cut the man's throat. The victim had no choice but to fight back, although he sustained a number of severe wounds in the process. Eventually, other passengers assisted him in restraining his attacker. Richard Dad was held at an asylum, and his brother wasted no time in gathering certification of his insanity and travelling over to France to present it to the authorities. He wanted to ensure that Richard would be treated appropriately. A new law between England and France had been given the royal assent that year, creating an extradition treaty between the nations regarding accusations of violent crimes. However, as Richard had committed a grievous assault in France, 
He would have to serve time in a criminal asylum there before he could be returned to England. An article published in the Pictorial Times written by a friend of Richard Dadd's reads like a eulogy for a young artist who was treated as though he had died. It read, The dead are at peace, but we mourn the living sorrow that remains to an amiable family. Truly theirs is a trial which nothing but God's great strength of mercy can alleviate. We mourn the mental death of the young man, into whose the hot sun of the East is believed to have burnt insanity. We have written this brief unsatisfactory record with much pain, for we esteem the youth as a friend and honoured him as one of these shining lights which brighten art. No living artist possessed a more vivid or delicate imagination, and there is no doubt that the excess of this quality predisposes to the disease which has triumphed over him. When we call to mind his gentle, tender and affectionate nature, the bright smile, the cheerful voice, the eyes at one moment almost wild with mirth and fancy, and then so deep and solemn in their thoughtfulness. When we remember the high, broad, orb-like forehead, a very castle of intelligence, we wonder where can the stronghold of reason be when it deserts such an inhabitation. Richard Dadd's state of mind was clearly evident when he was brought before Dr. Leblanc in France. He declared his belief that he was the son and envoy of God. He was sent to exterminate the men most possessed with demons. Richard explained that when he was in the park with his father, he was seized by divine inspiration and commanded to make a sacrifice. The doctor asked Richard what he thought about what he had done. Richard replied that he considered his actions positive, as he had destroyed an enemy of God. Richard Dad's siblings were devastated at his condition and the situation he was in. They consulted with the French ambassador and the Home Secretary in an effort to bring him back to England. Richard was ordered to remain in an asylum for around eight months during which time his loved ones spared no cost in sending him food and supplies. He was described as someone whose mind was an utter and unreclaimable blank. It was speculated that the degenerative condition of Richard's mind would claim his life within a year, as he spent hours standing and staring at the sun, no matter how bright it was. When his assault sentence expired in July 1844, the Home Secretary sent an officer to France to reclaim Richard Dad so he could be tried pro forma in England and committed to an asylum. Later that month, he was brought by carriage to the magistrate's office in Rochester. When he disembarked the carriage wearing a large military blue cloak, he was accompanied by two officers. His arms were pinioned, and he had a long full beard, 
accentuating his haunting appearance. The Bath Chronicle reported a visible wildness of expression on his face, and his eyes wandered over the whole court. After being charged with his father's murder, Richard suddenly exclaimed, You say I am the murderer? You villain! He then fell silent before he made several more outbursts, appearing to answer questions no one else could hear. While witnesses were being gathered in the case, Richard Dad was held in Maidstone Jail. The following week, he was again brought before the magistrates alongside his solicitor, Mr. Brown. Throughout the proceedings, Richard went from laughing manically to screaming at no one in particular. During the testimony concerning his father's post-mortem, Richard gritted his teeth and hissed at the doctor. Does he say the body was stabbed in two places? I only stabbed him once. Liar. Between outbursts and witness testimony, Richard's weary solicitor rested his head on his hand, something Richard responded to by saying, Brown, put your hand down. I'm not ashamed to look at you, man, if you are ashamed of yourself. Once the hearing came to an end, Mr. Brown appealed to the magistrates under the Criminal Lunatics Act to arrange for Richard Dad to be taken to an asylum instead of Maidstone Jail. The Criminal Lunatics Act of 1800 allowed those who were found not guilty by reason of insanity to be held at Her Majesty's pleasure. Fifteen years after the Act was passed, the government opened a criminal lunatic department at the new Bethlehem Hospital site in Southwark. The law reads that if two justices of the peace and two surgeons make a report of the insanity of the prisoner to the Secretary of State, he can, upon receipt of it, order the prisoner to be confined in some lunatic asylum. A correspondent for the Standard newspaper reported on the hearing and wrote, No doubt can remain upon the mind of any person who witnessed this examination that the unfortunate prisoner is not morally responsible for his actions. Nothing could be more changeable than the expression of his fine countenance and his demeanour. At one moment he was laughing with almost childish glee, the next he would appear deeply agitated, drawing his breath with a hissing noise and grinding his teeth, then mild and affected almost to tears, with his head bent nearly to his knees, and afterwards erect with a fierce bullying aspect and loud voice. It was ultimately decided that Richard Dad would be committed to Bethlehem Hospital without trial his insanity had been proven in the eyes of the law. Founded as a priory and later a hospital in medieval times, 
What was then known as Bethlehem Hospital became a notorious location in the city of London. In the late 1600s, the facility was rebuilt with the purpose of caring for those who had been declared lunatics or insane. It's believed to be the oldest psychiatric hospital in the world. The name was shortened to Bethlehem Hospital and later pronounced as Bedlam, where the term used to describe a scene of disorder and chaos came from. The hospital was open to members of the public for a fee until 1770. By the time Richard Dad arrived in August 1844, patient care had somewhat improved, but the practices used were still horrific. Dr James Monroe started working as the head physician in the mid-1700s, and his son, grandson and great-grandson followed suit. Barbaric and cruel practices and treatments were used on patients who were kept in dark, individual rooms. They were subjected to intermittent starvation, bloodletting by leeches, rotational therapy where they would be strapped down and spun until they vomited, beatings and isolation for extended periods. It was under the care of the fourth Dr. Monroe that Richard Dad was admitted to Bethlehem. During this period, physicians only visited the hospital routinely, so much of Richard's time in Bethlehem is undocumented. However, artwork dated from that time shows that he began to create art again. The hospital was reformed in 1853 and Dr William Charles Hood became the resident physician, emphasising the need for patient care and rehabilitation instead of treating patients like prisoners. Around this time, Richard Dad began to paint his most famous piece, The Fairy Feller's Master Stroke, which took him nine years to complete. Another painting of Richard's, The Haunt of the Fairies, was later reviewed in 1957 by the Society of Artists. The critic remarked, No poet, in his most fanciful mood, has imagined so fairy-like a scene, and no painter has embodied with a more supportive and fluent hand the gambols of the elven world. What strange fantasies must have visited the sensitive brain of the artist and the technical power capable of expressing these strange imaginings is still more wonderful. What a calamity it was that the narrow boundary that separated genius from madness was overstepped in the case of poor Dad. For surely if such a picture was the work of a man then far from the measure of his maturity... What might he not have produced in the full meridian of his power? Although Richard Dad was painting, he was still prone to unprovoked outbursts of violence. Bethlehem Hospital was overcrowded and struggling when the Criminal Lunatic Asylums Act was passed in 1860 it was decided that a new specialist hospital should be established. 
1863, Broadmoor Criminal Lunatic Asylum was opened. A block for male patients was built a year later, and all deemed criminally insane who were housed in Bethlehem were transferred to Broadmoor. Richard Dad benefited from the larger open spaces within the grounds. There, under the care of Dr. Wood, Richard explained his mindset at the time of his father's murder 20 years earlier. He said, On my return from travel, I was roused to a consideration of subjects which I had previously never dreamed of or thought about, connected with self, and I had such ideas that had I spoken of them openly... I must, if answered in the world's fashion, I've been told I was unreasonable. I concealed, of course, these secret admonitions. I knew not whence they came, although I could not question their propriety, nor could I separate myself from what appeared my fate. My religious opinions varied and do vary from the vulgar. I was inclined to fall in with the views of the ancients and to regard the substitution of modern ideas thereon as not for the better. These and the like, coupled with the idea of a descent from the Egyptian god Osiris, induced me to put a period to the existence of him whom I had always regarded as a parent, but whom the secret admonishings I had counselled me was the author of the ruin of my race. I inveigled him by false pretenses into Cobham Park and slew him with a knife, with which I stabbed him after having vainly endeavoured to cut his throat. Richard Dad intimated that he believed his father was the devil, and he had been on a mission from an Egyptian god to exterminate those most possessed by demons. Although Richard maintained the conviction that he was controlled by Osiris, he became more passive and was allowed to paint as much as he wanted in Broadmoor. In 1877, one journalist offered his thoughts about Richard Dad. Many works will live after him, the product of these thirty-odd years of absolute seclusion, melancholy moments of a genius so early shipwrecked, but which never went actually to ruin. So where are we now? In 1885, Richard Dad contracted tuberculosis and passed away in January 1886. One of his sisters said at the time, I am truly thankful to know him at rest. It is less grief to me than it was to think of him in that changed condition in which he has lived for many years past. His life has been, to me, a living death. After spending over four decades in asylums, Richard Dad was buried on the grounds of Broadmoor Hospital. 
It would later emerge that three more of his siblings had suffered a similar fate. Two of his younger brothers and his sister were all confined to asylums, leading many to wonder if they were genetically predisposed to a psychiatric condition. Others remained convinced that Richard Dad simply pierced the thin veil between genius and madness when he became so encapsulated by the fantasy scenes he created, he began to live under a delusion. Thank you for listening, and special thanks to our patrons for their support. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.